Welcome to the Life After Swim podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Jared Pike. He swam at FSU for college. He swam professionally and he's now an age group coach. We are so excited to have you, Jared. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Alexa. Well, thanks for having me on. This is, um, it's really exciting to do something like this. Um, yeah, I'd love to. Um, like you said before, I, I'm actually South African originally. I came over um, to swimming college uh, in the US and, you know, kind of got on the plane at 19 and didn't look back. Uh, swam through college, my four years uh, NCAA level. And I swam a few years um, professionally up until about, actually up until about the beginning of this year. Um, I, had, I was fortunate being a foreign athlete, I had that opportunity to continue on after college and, and kind of have aspirations to go to the Olympics, World Championships, international meets like that. Um, yeah, so I swam up until the beginning of 2021, about three months, four months ago, um, and then officially took an unofficial retirement slash break from swimming um, to kind of focus more on my career after swimming, sort of, sort of what I could get into more of, you know, look at building a family, building a business or a career outside of swimming. Um, and fortunately, through that, my professional swimming career, in order to help um, boost that, I actually started coaching age group, uh, an age group club in Lakeland, Florida. Um, it's called Riptide Aquatics, and I've been there for two and a half years, and it's been one of the best opportunities outside of swimming that I've had, and it's given me a great place to, um, to feel a part of a a sort of a group and a family to a certain degree, again, outside of my regular swimming people, my regular swimming world. Um, and, you know, in all of this, during the pandemic, we actually, I actually started an online business too, an online personal training business that my wife and I kind of thought, well, uh, we want to, we want to pandemic proof our income to a certain degree. And so we figured this is something I got my certification, we set up the business and it's been kind of just, you know, slowly uh, simmering in the background. We've, we've been doing decently well with a couple of clients here and there. And, and, and it's been really good for us to have that as well as our regular paying jobs. So, right. And that's where we are right now. Right. That, that's awesome. Like, especially as like a PT student, I saw like so many people starting online businesses during the pandemic, like starting podcasts. And it's just so interesting. Like, did you know always know that you wanted to go like the entrepreneurial route or the coaching route? Like at what point did you decide that was something you wanted to do? So as far as entrepreneurial stuff, no. <laughs> it was too it was actually pretty terrifying for me to think, well, I have to start my own thing, you know, get my own thing going, go through all the, the processes and everything. But as far as coaching goes, I'd always wanted to be a swimming coach. I think right from even a teenager, I, I just kind of fell into the the teaching coaching um, world. Now, not not a teacher. I'd never want to go be a, a teacher. I think that for those people, I take my hat off to them to wanting to do something like that. But um, as far as coaching goes, I've always wanted to coach. And I, I, I jumped at the opportunity when I sort of finished swimming in college and then professionally to be able to do it and actually contribute to other, you know, teenagers and kids' performances and, and see, you know, see the results. Yeah, that's awesome. What specifically, what um, groups do you coach? You mentioned like coaching age group and Lakeland. So, so basically I've coached every age group. I've coached or taught, learned to swim at a very young age. I think I've taught kids that are under a year old, um, very basic learn to swim techniques um, all the way up through now high school age. When you're, you're really training them, you, you teach them how to, <laughs> I always tell them you, you got to hop on the pain train because it's leaving. 
if you don't get on now, you're not going to be able to get back on. Um, so so I, I'm working through it with them at, at this age to understand, you know, if they do want to swim in college, there's a certain work ethic and a certain uh, mentality you have to have going through high school and then going into college swimming that you feel like you're just kind of slotting in and you're not falling behind, you're not starting from the back, moving forward. You, you're really in the group, you know, you kind of almost leading the group, let's hope, when they get there. Right. That's awesome. And so what would you describe your coaching style as a coach? You mentioned hopping on the pain train. Are you mm -hmm. more into like more yardage, efficient, like um, not garbage, like quality yards? Like what, mm -hmm. what would you say your style would be? Um, I, it's hard to really say what my style is. Um, I came, I came from a background of a lot of yardage, but a lot of like quality with yardage. So, so we just, you know, we just did everything hard and we did as much of it hard as we could. Um, and so I, I incorporate a little bit of that into the way I coach, but I understand the way my body reacted to that. You know, a lot of kids were burning out at when we were teenagers. And I think it came a lot from doing as much as you can, as hard as you can all the time and not getting enough recovery. So I do think my style is very much quality focused. I do like to add the yardage factor in there because I think, you know, from a personal point of view, I think we all, all swimmers need that at some point, especially teenagers. Um, they're, they're at that phase when they're building up their system, that they're getting fit, they're getting strong, and you've got to kind of um, capitalize on that so that you can see them progress. And then you can give them the fun, speedy, you know, quality stuff mixed in there to keep it fresh and keep it going. So I would say I'm more quality focused with a little bit of that um, yardage in the background. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What would you say like your um, philosophy is with weight training? We see so many like athletes just kind of pop off and they go to college with like they start lifting weights. Like what, what's your philosophy with that with age group summers? I think, you know, and, and through, through the couple of, the, you know, the studying I've done and the little bit of extra research on top of that that I'm um, doing, it's becoming more and more, evident that starting weight training or a strength training program, you know, regardless if it's with heavy weights or free weights or ca uh, cables or stretch cords or whatever, it's more important to start at a younger age and obviously good supervision, um, but teaching those athletic movements and those sort of strengthening movements so that when they get to that phase past puberty, you know, when they're getting to college, they're not risking getting injured. It's not taking them six months to adapt to the type of training. And this way they're becoming stronger athletes, not just better swimmers. So, so they're all around better. And I think, yeah, so, so I really think starting at a younger age as a, even I always say only when they're 15, do they start with any kind of weight training? You know, we do do a dry land training with them, anyone under the age of 14 and then anyone 15 and up, we introduce a little more weights and, and, and stretch balls and that kind of stuff to kind of train the system a little bit harder. I don't remember if you said you were coaching during the pandemic, but how did you handle that transition with the athletes, especially the younger ones? So we, unfortunately, during the, the early parts of the pandemic, we, our pool shut down, so we couldn't coach uh, swimming wise. So um, I just had to communicate with the kids as best as I can through email um with regards to you know i'd send them practices every day i think i sent like six practices a week for them to do when the pools opened but the club wasn't actually able to get back in um i gave them stuff and then i gave them 
three, two to three um, dry land slash weight training sessions to do during the week, however they could, wherever they could. Some of them were fortunate enough to have equipment at home. So, you know, like stretch cords and dumbbells and some yeah. some girls had like an, a rowing machine and, and wow. you know, all these funny things that they you know, the parents had collected over the years. So it was pretty cool yeah. that I could say, all right, go, go ahead and do five rounds of this, that, or the next thing. And then they ended up getting a very good workout. And, you know, and that's kind of where the situation with all the coaches was. We're all kind of sitting, well, how do we coach our kids remotely? Because it's not just like an everyday remote job. You can sit at home and do the work. It's it's okay. hard not to see them do it and then see the, see what you have to do on, on the next day or the next two days or so. Right. It, it was very resourceful. You made like the online training, the personal training. What's like, do you have a specific group of people that you train or athletes in particular? Um, I like, you know, as far as the personal training goes, uh, online stuff, I like to focus on having elite level athletes who are um, kind of, I always put it, elite level athletes that are struggling to find the next level in their training. So we have swimmers, triathletes, those kind of people who do a lot of endurance training, a lot of um, cardiovascular training and and again like more of the research points that strength training will help that cardio so much more if you're doing it in conjunction with it so i like to train those type of athletes that are kind of driven motivated but are seeing a bit of a plateau or seeing a bit of a okay how do i how do i improve my time by five percent you know because in 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 the swimming world in the triathlon world five percent is huge yeah. So if you can say, if I can say to you, hey, Alexa, we're going to improve your 100 freestyle time by 5%, and you do the math, like, wait a second, that's three seconds in 100 or, you know, two and a half seconds in 100, you're like, sign me up, you know? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the, the, the route I'm taking is, you know, and, and it's, and I try and mark it as, as a long process. It's not going to happen over time. It's like any elite athlete, you know, that in order to swim fast at the end of the year, you're going to have to train for six months at least to see any yeah. kind of improvement. So I'm trying to put that into it and so people can understand that it's not just, oh, you can train with me for two months. You're going to see a huge improvement. I mean, you'll see a little bit of improvement and you'll see strength gains. You'll see a body composition change just purely because you're doing something different. You're training a little bit harder and you're pushing your body. So, um, yeah, it's more like those elite level athletes or kids or any, anyone kind of over the age of 16 17. Um, I have trained one or two high school kids too that have seen improvements and have managed their weight training very well. Um, so, yeah. So you would say, I think that's a very smart move because some people just like don't really care about the times, especially in swimming. Like it's a very time oriented sport. So you would, were you very time oriented as a swimmer, like very goal driven or you just kind of like, I feel like that's very common with elite athletes. Um, I was kind of obsessive with times. Growing yeah, up. I feel that. <laughs> it was it was very much the, the driving factor of me swimming a lot of the time. I mean, right. and especially going uh, becoming a professional, knowing like you have Olympic qualifying times you have to hit, you have this time you have to hit. You know, it became almost uh, too obsessive. So you would kind of psych yourself out about, oh, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, and mm -hmm. it hurts you, you know, to a certain degree, and it did hurt me as well. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of swimmers have gone through this. If we focus too much on a specific time. And not just really focusing on swimming well, um, we actually end up swimming worse. And we, you know, it, it becomes more of a mental struggle to then go through it because we're not understanding what's going on. 
you know, there could be so many factors as to why you're not getting there. And you're not taking that into account. You may feel it's an excuse, but it's really real. It's, a, you know, it's reality a lot of the time. So, yeah, I can completely relate. Like I swam the 4 a.m. in college and mm-hmm. every night before the championship meet, I would never sleep. Like I would be like, I need to go this way. I need to go this time. I need to beat this person. So I can completely relate to that. Like, did you have like trouble sleeping too? Like the night before that's like kind of just like, is that common? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you, I think you'll find it's more common than not. And, and I definitely did have issues with that. I would remember a first, a first day of the meet, whether it's the 50 breast or the 200 breast that I had, I would sleep maybe three or four hours because I'd be tossing and turning, waking up, thinking about what, how am I going to walk onto the pool deck? How am I going to dive in? You know, what's going to be my first stroke? I mean, 400 IM is a lot longer, obviously. So, so I can understand that. But, you know, as a, being a sprinter, it's so... Like, oh, I have to dive in. I have to be perfect coming out. I have to be perfect on the turn. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I did have, I did struggle to sleep a lot. And I didn't really eat much during the meet too because it was just difficult to eat when I was swimming. Yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I would always like have to eat before the relays. I would literally be eating like a peanut butter cup on the block to like avoid leaving early because I just (laughs) always like, I always wanted to win so bad. And I think there's a picture of me like about to leave early, like at one meet, but we didn't get DQ'd. But that was always like a thing of mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's interesting. So you mentioned you swam professionally. You went straight from college into professional swimming. Do you want to take us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So after, so I graduated FSU in 20, December 2014, and, and I finished NCAA earlier that year. And so I transitioned right away into a professional um, swimming environment, I guess you can call it. I stayed at FSU for an extra, I want to say 18 months or so, right up until preparing for the 2016 Olympics. Um, So I I took that time to kind of go in and that's when I started the coaching as well. Um, That 18 months started off really well, you know, going through the summer of 2015. I, I, I had a few really good swims. I did some personal bests then. And then going into 2016, there was a bit of a rocky way, uh, sort of a rocky um, time. And the preparation going into those Olympic trials weren't as good as I would have, would have hoped they would have been. I was 25, so I was ready, you know, I was ready mature, maturely enough as a swimmer that that was going to be my best opportunity. Um, and then unfortunately, that didn't happen. So I, I kind of, I went back to South Africa for eight months. Um, and trained there, kind of got my mind back into where I wanted to be to make sure I wanted to continue on for at least the next four years up until 2020. Um, And throughout those four years, I mean, again, you know, going past 25, a lot of times athletes get a lot of up and downs, and and I did. And and there were a couple of years when I was like, well, why am I not going any faster? And there were a couple of years, well, wow, I'm going faster, you know. And then, you know, short course swimming was coming a lot easier to me, like short course meters swimming was in, ended up being a lot more um, rewarding to me. Um, I did a few uh, World Cup meets in, in Europe in 2018, 2019, um, and ended up swimming a few short course personal bests in those. So I was, things were going really well, and I was very happy with, the, the the choices I've made in terms of swimming professionally, swimming on my own, because I, I just took it on myself to kind of, I'm not going to join a club, I'm not going to um, swim with a coach uh, specifically. I'm going to take, you know, get programs from the coach that I had, 
that I did before because before I went to college, I actually did train on my own and my mom was my coach for three wow. years. Wow. So I was with the coach up until about 15 and then we decided that there weren't any other coaches or ways that we could train the way we wanted to to get the results. So we just, we reached out to a, a good friend and, and coach that we knew um, in Cape Town, South Africa at the time. And he was like, sure, where do I send the workouts? I'm really happy to work with you. He came down and met with us and we did a whole, he, he told us how the program worked. He coached me a little bit, did a few technical things. And um, and then we went from there. So through, And then, okay, then jump forward now to like 2017. Mm-hmm. He was always watching in the background, kind of, um, you know, chasing how I was doing, always reached out, no matter if I was training at FSU or not, or with a different coach at the time. And he he was more than happy to send workouts for me to do. And I did it on my own. I did it about nine or 10 sessions, swim sessions a week, mm-hmm. um, depending on the summer or the winter and, and, and work schedule. And then two to three weight sessions a week, again, depending on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, going through 2018, 2019, things started to kind of change and I started getting faster, getting stronger again. You know, also I focused more on getting a better strength training uh, regime and schedule in there too. Right. And I think that played a huge role in me managing the swimming and recovery and strength and everything to understand because being a more mature athlete, you don't think, you know, you've trained a certain way all your life. Yeah. And then you don't understand when you turn 28, 29, 30, that wow, your rest is as important, if not more important than your training. Right. And there were multiple days when as a teenager, I would have just got up and went. But now as a mature athlete, I was like, well, I, I need to kind of sleep in or I need something a bit easier today because my body's hurting. I'm feeling a little under the weather um, and I can't push through it anymore. Right. Um, so that, that sort of 2019 led me into the 2020 and the pandemic hit, obviously, right? So so being in, in Florida in March of 2020, we started wild. hearing, oh my gosh, we started hearing about all this weird virus thing that was going around and we heard about China and then it was moving through the rest of the world. And I was supposed to get on a plane on March 16th, 2020 to go back for Olympic trials in 2020. Um, and that was a Wednesday. It's weird how specific I can remember this. Yeah. And the Monday we heard from um, Swimming South Africa, so the governing body of our Olympic uh, trials and everything, that they are canceling Olympic trials. Oh no, sorry, we heard about the Olympics being being postponed to next to 2021. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting on Monday. I'm like, do I get on this plane? Because what is the point in me traveling? And then potentially not being able to get back to America because, you know, right. with the travel and stuff, it was going to be scary. So Tuesday came around Wednesday morning. So that I'm, I'm, my bags are packed, getting ready to drive to the airport. And at the time, I was finishing up uh, visa stuff and everything like that with a lawyer. So we heard that morning that Olympic trials were canceled. So this is Wednesday morning. I'm supposed to go on the plane Wednesday afternoon. We heard that the trials were canceled. And it's just going to be a regular um, nationals meet. And so now I phoned the lawyer and, I, and I'm talking to him on the phone. Then I'm talking to my mom on the phone. And, and the lawyer was like, well, you can, but then there's going to be a little bit of, um, we don't know if you'll be able to get back. We don't know if you'll be able to finish your visa. 
And, you know, we're going back and forth and drive through to the Tampa airport. We're sitting in the parking lot. And then I phoned him again. I said, so what do you think? And he said, well, it's really up to you, but this is the case. So then we walked into the airport, canceled my flight and drove home. Um, and fortunately we did because there was a heavy travel ban from anyone coming to the US from hotspots and South Africa was considered a hotspot at the time. Mm. And it turns out that any travel was, the travel still hasn't been lifted. So I would have still been in South Africa right now. Oh, wow. Um, so even it, now? This even year? now. Wow. Even now, because it's lifting now in November, there's going to be less restrictions. But you think that's from March or last year to November this year, wow. I would have been <clears throat> stuck in South Africa, not working, not being able to see my wife or anything like that, because right. it's just what it was like. But yeah, so I mean, when we got back in, I actually started swimming in a backyard pool after about three weeks of not swimming. Mm -hmm. um, my wife's grand has a pool. I took a stretch cord, wrapped it around the, the pump hole and <laughs> swam stationary back and forth. You know, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people, a lot of other swimmers did. And I That's saw a lot I of did. swimmers did that kind yeah. of stuff. Yep. So you know exactly how boring that was. It was, yeah. It didn't help stroke or anything. It just was there to keep me moving. Yeah, and um, then my dad would pull me back too far and I would get frustrated and then I would stop. Yep. Well, unfortunately, I, I didn't have anyone holding the thing. I just kind of oh. wrapped it around in the you know the little hole that you get the the pool cleaner in yeah it was and i just wrapped it through and wrapped it around so i just literally swam stationary oh wow in, the, in one spot in the pool for wow i tried to do an hour an hour that's was admirable tough. yeah i think i swam was, 20 minutes at most i had to mix it up i will say but i i struggled to get to an hour um yeah. but yeah for then we had the pools up you know in florida things opened up a little bit earlier and I was able to get back in the pool, and I think in uh, end of May, beginning of June last year, um, swam through, figured I'd go ahead and, and go for trials again, you know, give it another go, because my plan was always to try for Tokyo and then see after that. And um, fast forward to begin of this year, sort of March again, um, you know, flying back, and, and my wife and I decided, well, why don't we go and get married at the courthouse? And so, so that, um, that's so exciting. We, yeah, <laughs> we were planning on getting married in uh, this year, right? 2021, mm -hmm. September 5th, 2021. And we decided, well, let's do the, the courthouse marriage marriage because then I'll be able to get back into the country and we can start doing green card stuff. So <laughs> no one knew that we did this, only like her parents and, and us and my mom. That's awesome. Um, so we did that and then i left to go to south africa and then i had to have like all these forms and everything to say oh i do have a spouse in america like it's real yeah i had to show marriage certificate and all the you know COVID traveling was insane right and fortunately i was able to go and like get my visa done in south africa and get back and then right the day after i got back they increased the travel restrictions on south africa because of the new strain coming out again so yeah. this was in june when i flew back yeah it just made it worse and then we decided to we postponed our wedding to next year again um in the assumption that restrictions will be lifted by then and, and my family will be actually be able to come over and and be part of the wedding so yeah yep wow so with all these like ups and downs and everything you've learned from swimming, how do you feel like it has prepared you for the real world, like as a coach and with your personal training business? 
what I think it's done is it's taught me to not try control everything, to be a little bit more resilient and flexible in in not just saying, okay, this is the plan, I have to stick to it no matter what. Um, I think that's a one thing the pandemic with those ups and downs the pandemic has done. It's like, well, someone can just say, stop, or something can happen and you don't have a choice whether you have to go or stop. And you kind of just need to go with it and make the best of the situation you have. Um, and, and again, through, through the swimming ups and downs, I think that was the best thing is like, you know, understanding that I, I'm not defined by my last swim, whether it was good or it's bad. You know, I'm defined by the way you, you handle that and, and, and your character in, in, in going through those situations and coming out on the other side. How do you, how do you manage that situation? And that's one thing I learned. It's like, you know, we stress about these small things so much and, and, in the big scheme of things, how important is that to really stress a lot of it? Not much at all. I think that's definitely, you know, resiliency, flexibility, um, you know, being a little more open, I guess, flexibility, open to change, that kind of stuff. That that's really helped me and, and helped me to just see a different perspective on sport, athletics, life, um, adulting as we want to call it there as well um throwing new throwing real world stuff into a career and and, and and that kind of stuff right and i think that's so important especially as swimmers and as a sprinter like you mentioned we want to like everything has to be perfect and everything have to, has to go to, as planned so i think just this year taught me so much even like my last meet actually the scoreboard broke for the 53 and i think i was like point one off the record the team record yeah. for like the 53 with the hand timer so and I got second in the race and it was like oh like what would have happened but then I kind of looked back and I was like well that like that didn't define me like that race wasn't my whole career like absolutely and I I mean going into this year's Olympic trials I was kind of at that point where I knew it was more or less going to be my last few swims you know the 1500 and 200 breasts and it was a weird feeling to feel because I've never felt that feeling before you know, right. how do you know? And I kept having to tell myself, it's like, yeah, this is your last race, but it's not like it's the end of your life. <laughs> you right. know, you can, life will go on, whether you make this Olympic team or not, life will go on and no one will think anything less or more of you either way, you know? And, and, and obviously if you make the Olympics, it's a huge thing. And I'm not taking that away from anyone who, who did go through a pandemic year and then make it at the end. Cause I think it's almost been tougher <laughs> this year than any other four years other than the boycotts in the 80s right to make an olympic team because you have so many different factors and, and one thing i did notice and going a bit into a bit of swimming um nerd nerd stuff here oh i'm, is, I'm right here i love that stuff. Oh, sweet <laughs> is is if you looked at like the overall age of most of the teams going to the olympics a lot of them were teenagers and youngsters yeah and i sat down and i was like you know why is this um you know, kind of why is this happening and, and what it boils down to is a lot of the teenagers who would normally have school and stuff going through these times didn't have any school. They were all homeschooled. They could kind of train as professionals to a certain degree as the same as all these older athletes. And they're not conditioned to peaking every four years. They're conditioned to peaking every six months. Wow. And then you take the older athletes like myself, when we're used to going every four years and you take a break and every four years, it threw them off. I mean, you look at a lot of the U.S. swimmers who were guaranteed, almost seemed like they were guaranteed to make the Olympics, were struggling to get that first and second spot because 
Right. I mean, I don't know how they trained. I don't know, you know, I don't know their lives or what happened, but I just feel the overwhelming overall feeling is everyone was throwing out of rhythm. Right. And, you know, I don't, I'm curious to see what 2024 will be like because now it's only been yeah. three years. You know, how do you take a year or six months off and get back in another two years and get back to if not better than you were before? So, I mean, that was my personal feeling on this year. It's like, well, in a way, it's nice to have not made it. Um, just because it's a COVID Olympics, which was kind of strange too. It, yeah. you know, speaking to a few of my friends that did go, they're like, it was an incredible experience. Like, don't don't get them wrong, but they said we couldn't go see any other sports. You know, it was weird in the sense that it wasn't a typical Olympic experience right. compared to what everyone tells you. Yeah. Um, so whereas I would have loved to have made it in hindsight, it was nice to have not have to endure my first and probably only Olympics be a COVID Olympics. Right. So, that's just so interesting because yeah, I had a friend that swam for St. Croix and she mentioned like it, it was like almost creepy. Like there was no one in the stands. It was just like you mm. could hear like a pin drop before the race. So that's really interesting yeah. that you mentioned that. It's, yeah, it's, it was very crazy because I have a very good friend who went to Rio and then went to this one. And he said, you know, we spoke, I spoke to him after Rio and it wasn't fantastic. Like he's like, it was, a, it was a great experience for his first one, but it was, you know, because Rio is not a, thriving metropolis like in atlanta or a tokyo or something and so they had certain you know restrictions and 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 there it wasn't like no dime was you know no dollar was spared kind of thing um but he said rio was a better experience than tokyo hands down i mean he did swim better there but it was like night and day compared to the experiences because of what they could do and what they could see and what they could actually be tourists in there right um so that was an interesting perspective, I thought, too, because Tokyo for me would have been, should have been one of the best Olympics in the last 15, 20 years. But, yeah. You know, can't control pandemic, right? Right. No. I thought it was so interesting, too, like the other countries, like Australia really came up. So I was wondering, like, if their restrictions are better than ours because the U.S. was kind of a mess. But like Florida, I feel like was always doing its own thing. And I think we had like the most Olympians. I, I could be wrong, or the most like a medals, maybe because of Caleb Dressel, but just because Florida was like always open, I feel like, and people got to train more than say like someone in like Minnesota or something. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, I mean, swimming and training in Florida, there were a lot of people who came from northern states to train yeah. and like actually live here for a while and train here for a while because they knew it was pretty open and unrestricted. I mean, there was word going around that. Um, the mayor of Orlando or something wanted to host the Olympics, so, you know, bring the world to Florida. And we're joking. We're like, well, do you really want to bring the world to Florida? I don't, I don't know how I feel about that one. We, we just, we're just opening things up. I don't want to shut things down again. So, right. um, yeah, I think it was just the fact a lot of, of the towns and stuff were more open to open things. So. Right. What would, kind of going back to your swimming career what would you say like your favorite tradition was with your either collegiate team or like professionally um so going through i'd say collegiately i always loved doing the um the cheers before the meet started so you know the guys and the girls team had their own separate ones and i went to fsu so we have the seminole tribe is our like you know we kind of do a war chant and everything like that. So my favorite, and this is probably the same thing for every FSU athlete is we do the war chant when, you know, before relays and come up and like ACCs and I get goosebumps thinking about standing in Greensboro, yeah. um, watching relays and doing the war chant um, before they're about to dive in the pool. 
Um, and then doing, you know, our Florida State um, cheer right before the meet starts and, and the guy and get you all pumped up. And I think that was my favorite tradition of swimming in college is like, you're a team, you support your team. Even though swimming's individual, it's very team oriented and, and you really have to perform for your team. And that's, I actually succeeded more in relays in college than I did individually, just because I think it was a thing like you're not swimming for yourself. And once you're swimming for someone else, you make damn sure you're not going to fail. Right. You're going to do everything you can to support your teammates. So that was my best thing is, is the relay tradition, having your team support you and, and those, those big cheers before you. Swim. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that. Like the team atmosphere, I feel like is nothing like I like professionally or even before like college swimming is very unique in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we try and do that with the kids in high school, but it's, you know, teenagers are, are strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't see like teenagers doing a cheer like they do in college. It's very like college specific. It's not cool enough. No. And also <laughs> I think, yeah. And like high school swimming, it was like, everyone was for yourself. Like I remember at like Florida mm-hmm. state meet, everyone was like very like in their own lane. Like even the relays kind of felt like, like you had to be the fastest to like accomplish something, but in college, it was like very much for the team. And I think that that's helped me a lot, like now going forward in the real world. I think too, you have this problem in high school is you're getting recruited so young now, you know, it's not, right. it's no more at the end of your junior year. It's like end of your sophomore year, you're getting teams emailing you or calling you. So you're under this pressure from a very young age. Of, okay. I have to start performing individually. Forget my team, forget my relay. Like if I don't do 55 and the hundred back, there's no way they're going to, I'm, I'm not going to sniff a scholarship, you know? So right. it, yeah, I think it's good that they have something to go towards, but it is, like you said, it takes away from them being teammates to their teammates, right. <laughs> they, right. you know, just performing individually. And then their results just kind of bubbles over into the team doing well. So. Right. So when you were being recruited from in South Africa, what were you looking for in a team? Were you looking for anything specific for what like drew you to Florida state? So originally, well, I was first of all recruited to Indian River. So I was, I mean, go back to that. I was looking for a team program that was for a school, I should say, that was swimming orientated. So something that I wasn't just going to school because they offered me a lot of money. They had a great school. Um, I wanted to go to the place that had the the best swimming program where I knew I could go and, and perform and be part of a swimming tradition. I, I spoke to a few people before I went over, before I came over here about the various schools that I was looking at or that were offering me some money. And one of the things that came up, it's like, well, do you want to go to a school that has a football tradition, but just spends money on everything? Or do you want to go to a school that has a, a tradition of swimming and like swimmers doing really well and coming out of there that go on professionally, that perform outside of college? you know, where do you want to go? And it came down to, well, I really want to go to the place that my swimming is going to get better. I don't need the fancy clothes or the, you know, the, the million dollar, multi-million dollar facility to swim well. I mean, those are nice. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't say no. Yeah. But um, it's not essential and it's not ideal. And that's, that's what drew me to Indian River. It was their tradition of winning and, and swimming fast and competing, not just on like a junior college level, but they could compete on a division two level, you know, NCAA division two level and only being a two year swimming school. You know, they, when I was there, that one thirty, I think it was 37 or 38, 36 national men's national titles in a row. 
It was wow. like the longest winning streak for any nationally ranked team in any division. Wow. Um, and then going to Florida State, it was kind of the same thing. And I hate to admit this, but I didn't even know there was a university called Florida State when I went to Indian River. That's fine. <laughs> I knew of Auburn, Florida, Arizona, and Georgia, and Ohio State and uh, Iowa. Because those are the schools that were talking to me. We had South Africans that have gone to those schools. Right. So I knew of those. And my coach at the time says, oh, um, Florida, uh, Neil, Coach Neil from Florida State wants to do to talk to you. And I said, Coach Neil from where? <laughs> I said, where's, where's Florida State? He's like, Tallahassee. I said, where's Tallahassee? I have no idea. It's like the capital of Florida. I said, wait, I thought Orlando was the capital of Florida. <laughs> he just laughed at me. He's like, you probably need to get on a call and speak to this coach and go and see. So I went up and it was the same thing. You know, Florida State is not a, it doesn't have a huge indoor natatorium that is multi-billion dollars. You know, it's an outdoor pool. It's a beautiful outdoor pool next to the golf course, it's kind of off campus a little bit. So you really are just the swimming team on your own, which, I mean, I go back to that pool now and I still get nostalgic and, and emotional because it, it's such a special place to go. And I didn't get that feeling anywhere else. Like I did go to Auburn and I did go to um, like West Virginia and stuff like that, but I never got that feeling walking on the pool deck at those places that, okay, this is a special place. I'm going to really, whether I get better or not, I think it's going to be a great environment for my swimming and I'm going to meet really good people and have really good friends. And I, my best friend to this day is still from Indian River and Florida State. We lived together all through college and a year after college. So, and he's going to be my best man at my wedding next year. So, you know, yeah. stuff like that, you, you would, you know, my swimming might have gone a little better if I went anywhere else, you know, would have gone a little faster, maybe made the Olympics in 2016, but I, I wouldn't make that a different, you know, I would keep my decisions the same. I wouldn't change anything. I'd still go there and go to a place that I felt like was growing my swimming and then helping me in a career afterwards. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, obviously you need to go where your swimming is going to be best and where you're going to succeed most in your swimming. But you need to understand that after your four years of college, what are you going to do? Right. You can't swim forever. You can swim for a while. And now you can professionally because of, you know, the international leagues and um, FINA is doing a champion, you know, all these kind of stuff that you can still relatively some professionally, but right. it's still nowhere near earning a living. So you really have to take that into consideration if you, if you want to go to a place like that. Right. When you mentioned like it felt like nowhere else, were you, do you mean like the culture was different? It felt like more like a family, like what was the culture of Florida State that drew you? I think the culture was it was very family oriented. It, it was um, a just a very pleasant place to be, I think. And, and unfortunately I had a coach my junior year and then a coach my senior. So it changed it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was always a very serious swimmer. Like I took things very seriously and, and, I, and I got in and I did the work. And, and what was nice is I could get in and do the work. And there were multiple other people who had that same mentality as me that were beating me and I could race and I could push myself to beat. Right. And it was a challenging environment. And I always thrived in a challenging environment growing up too. Yeah. You know, if I would rather be in a place with people that were better than me than be in a place where I was the best. Right. So, and I, and that's what I saw at Florida State. And I mean, a lot of the other schools were the same, but I think Florida State just resa resounded more with me going there and doing that kind of stuff. Right. Right. That's awesome. Do you, by any chance, keep in touch with your teammates, like go to reunions or stuff like that? 
So I, I do try and there, there's a, like an uh, alumni weekend every year, I think in the beginning of October that, yeah. that there's some team holds. And I, I think in the last six years since I've been graduated, I've been up two or three times for that. Sometimes it's just at a weird time that I, you, with work, you just can't get up there. Right. And I, I get the email and I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to respond to this. And then the time comes and I see it's on social media. I'm like, oh, dang it. I didn't respond. <laughs> or I didn't go, or, you know, or something because where I am, it's not a long, it's not a far drive to get there from here. Yeah. Um, but I do talk to um, like one of my teammates actually lives an hour away from here. And then the other one, you know, so, so I do try and talk to them as often as possible. And, um, like I said, my best friend lives in Tallahassee still. So if I go up there, I visit him. Um, his parents live an hour away in Orlando. So that makes it very easy if he comes and visits, you know, we, we, we meet up. But for the most part, it's like more of like reaching out on social media or, you know, like I said, if I go to the alumni weekends and I meet them there or if we go out for a game and it turns out that a few of the teammates are there, we, we kind of pick up where we left off to. Right, right. Two or three times is pretty good because I know like work gets pretty demanding and like I'm going to mm. grad school and I'm probably not going to go for like the next three years. So I feel like that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I do like taking a break. And I think that's a big thing for me is if I can take a break for a weekend and just break up life and stuff, it, it helps. You know, it helps everything, I think. Right. So just to kind of end this, what would you say like your biggest piece of advice for current swimmers now, like either in age group or in college, like what would you tell them from where you are now? I think, so, I mean, I went through all of that being obsessive about times and training and, and being the best swimmer and swimming is everything. I think the biggest takeaway is yes, it's important. And yes, if it's going to get you far in life, you need to, you need to focus and you need to put a lot of energy into it, but you need to understand that after swimming or outside of swimming, life carries on. You know, whether you swim only your high school years or only up to the end of college, you need to be at peace with the fact that yes, swimming will end at some point. And you need to know, okay, when swimming is done, I need to look back and say, you know what? I did everything I could when I could to do the best I can and the best I can is what I achieved. And I need to now put that aside and move on to my swimming, my, my next, my next part of my career and use the lessons like, like time management, teamwork, uh, um, determination, motivation, all those things you had to learn as a swimmer to get up every morning or every other morning at, you know, the crack of dawn to swim. You put that now into your next career and say, okay, I'm going to, take my experiences and say, okay, well, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to show these people that because I'm a swimmer, I can do X, Y, Z a lot better than the next person. And, and I think that was the biggest thing for me is like, you know, I've started coaching masters as well and that we're doing that in the mornings and I haven't had to get up at 4.30 in the morning for six years. And now I'm like 4.45, I'm up and I'm going and I'm like, wow, I'm just doing this like it's normal. And then I go back to when I was a teenager having to get up at four o'clock in the morning, right. drive to practice, be there five fifteen. Otherwise you get kicked off the pool deck. Yeah. And I, I'm honestly, and, and you kind of need to go through and be thankful of those times when you had to get up, when you're tired, when you had to just kind of push through the pain or mentally get through a, a tough time because in life and after swimming, you're going to have more of those times than you did when you were swimming. 
Right. right? It's just, it's just going to happen more often than you would like. And you're going to be stressed and you're going to be tired. You just kind of mentally swimming will train you mentally to get through that. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like use the, the tricks and the training you've, you, you've learned mentally to get to not apply that to your life outside of swimming. Yeah. I couldn't have said that better myself. Like it doesn't get easier in the real world, but swimming does prepare you for it and you can do it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jared, for sharing your story. I'm sure this will help so many people, especially during the COVID year where things might have ended not the way they wanted to or were expecting. If you want to follow or connect with Jared, his contact info, his IG handle will be in the show notes. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Life After Swim podcast. If you like today's episode, be sure to like, leave a review or subscribe so more people in the swimming community can hear this. Until next time.